Hello, and welcome back to Grateful Gwenna. I'm so glad you joined us again this morning, or this afternoon, or this evening, whatever time of day it is for you. As for me, it's morning. As always, I hope you're well and safe. If you're not safe, please get to a place of safety and or call the Center for National Center for Domestic Violence hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. So today's topic is slightly different. Um, today, uh, I believe the Lord is leading me to speak about what I did to try to help my ex-husband. And <laughs> this inspiration came this morning from reading a very misinformed comment on a post. Um, it was by a lady who before she became a Christian, divorced her abusive ex-husband and then remarried another man and has been married for seven years. And this lady's question was basically, is God going to punish me because I divorced my abusive ex-husband and got remarried? Because I know scriptures against that. But number one, she wasn't a Christian at the time. Number two, as you know from my previous podcast episodes, it is not a sin to divorce an abusive husband, in my opinion, according to scripture. Um, in fact, it's, it's more of not really a sin, but it's worse, according to scriptures, from my understanding and what I read in the scriptures, it's worse to stay with someone who's abusing you. Um, the Bible says our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, and the Lord had revealed to me several years ago that if we're, quote unquote, allowing someone to abuse our bodies, we're allowing them to abuse the Holy Spirit. And whatever is being done to our bodies is being done to the Holy Spirit because our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, lives within us. And we have his power and authority also as well. Um, I feel like nothing makes demons angrier than when we rebuke them in the name of Jesus Christ. Um, so I was trying to, um, I was trying to encourage this lady. Um, and I said, abuse is a breach of the marriage covenant. Um, she had said that adultery is the only biblical reason for divorce. Adultery is not the only biblical reason for a divorce. Uh, there are three reasons. I can only remember two right now, adultery and abuse. And, oh, I think the third one is an unbeliever. Um, they're all legitimate and valid and biblical reasons for divorce. That doesn't mean you have to get divorced, but they're valid. So I told her, if you're being abused, <clears throat> then your husband already broke the marriage covenant, not you. And I told her that this is a very legalistic interpretation of scripture. And in my opinion, it is very wrong. God loves you. God is not about punishing you. In fact, quite the opposite. God sent his Redeemer, his precious son, Jesus Christ, because he loves you and me so much. God is holy and cannot be in the presence of sin. However, there are multiple scriptural examples. Um, one of them is where um, the Pharisees were complaining that someone was working because they picked up their mat on the Sabbath day, and that was considered work in the Jewish culture back then. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Um, 
basically in so many words, he, he vehemently rebuked this legalistic attitude. So in John 5, 8 through 14, it says, Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walked. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who has he- who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And then later in the scripture, it talks about when, when they questioned Jesus, um, he asked them a question. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it's like he was, Jesus was basically like, which is worse, you know, and basically admonishing the Pharisees for being so legalistic because it's not necessarily the law that's important, but the spirit of the law. Um, and so Jesus had compassion. Um, so, and then this lady, other lady, not the original poster, she replies to me and says, walking away from the cruel woman doing yoga beside you is not the same as walking away from a husband you have a covenant with. So first of all, obviously she missed the point I made that when, if your husband's abusing you, he has already broken the marriage covenant you as a wife are not breaking a marriage covenant if you're walking away from an abusive husband because the abuse that your husband does has already broken that marriage covenant. Your husband is the one who has already broken the marriage covenant with you, and that's one of the things that God revealed to me years ago. She also replied, you and the random beside you are not one flesh. Yeah, let's talk about that, shall we? If you're one flesh, you shouldn't be hitting yourself or strangling yourself or choking yourself or shoving yourself or abusing, slapping yourself or abusing yourself in any other way. If you're one flesh, you should stop mistreating yourself. How much more than, how much more so than should you stop abusing your wife who's supposed to be your one flesh? And then she says, and it's not like Jesus was silent on this issue. So we need to gather a circumstantial case. Jesus actually spoke on this issue. He's not known to contradict himself. I have no idea what she's referring to there because I cannot think of any scripture where Jesus says it's okay for a husband to abuse a wife. Unless, and the only thing I can think of is if she's referring to the scripture that talks about wives submitting to our husbands. Um, Submit to your wife, or husband, sorry. Wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Um, but also in the same scripture section in Ephesians chapter five, I believe it's verse 21, before it tells wives to submit to their, our husbands, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another means submission goes both ways. And that means the husband's to submit to the wife too. Yes, the husband is ahead of the household, but he still has responsibility to not only be submitted to, but he also has much responsibility and a much higher responsibility, in my opinion. He also has a responsibility to submit to his wife as well. And so 
Um, first, I wanted to say, uh, I, re- I responded, and I'll, I'll leave it here, that I used to think like her, but God showed me that I was wrong about this in Scripture. Never, ever, ever does God require anyone to submit to abuse. If you're being told by a Christian or a church member or a pastor or church leadership, church leader or anyone else that God requires you to submit to abuse, that is not biblical teaching. That is false teaching. Um, If you're being told that if you submit to your husband's abuse, and if you would, or if you would just be a better wife, he would get better. That is also false. It is not biblically accurate. It is not at all what the Bible says. Because if your husband's being abusive, he's choosing, he's making a choice to abuse you. And you can't control his behavior. That's his choice. It is not your fault that he's abusing you. And, um, you know, I'm a teacher, and one of the things we like to try to do is get kids, get students, kids to take ownership of their learning. Um, because when they take ownership, then they they realize and they understand and acknowledge that they're responsible for their own learning. A lot of times, some kids like to blame teachers if they are failing a class. When the truth is, and, and they might even say, you gave me enough. I've heard that. I've been teaching 18 years total now. And I've heard so many times, you gave me enough. No, honey, I didn't give you enough. You earned enough. (laughs) Because if you didn't submit your assignments, if you didn't study, if you failed your quizzes or tests, if you didn't turn in your projects, or if you did a poor job on your projects, which are graded according to rubrics, which are given out ahead of time so that the expectations are clearly stated ahead of time and and students can actually read each item one by one. If you refuse to do any or all of that, then you earned an F. So it's important that, you know, we don't allow abusers or anyone else or flying monkeys, (coughs) so-called, excuse me, to blame the victims. If a wife is being abused by her husband, it's not the wife's fault. It's his choice to abuse her. It's his fault. He's making that choice. And no matter what she does, it's not going to make him better um, because he has to choose. Now, miracles are possible definitely with God. Luke 137 says nothing is impossible with God, right? Absolutely. But God also gives us free will. Um, I remember in the beginning years of my marriage praying and thinking that if I were a good enough wife and if I just did things better, if I just did tried harder and I just were a more submissive wife and better and more perfect, that my ex-husband would stop being so mean and abusive to me. But that was a fallacy. That was a false thinking and a false teaching in the church I used to belong to. Um, I remember in the very beginning days of our marriage, I didn't know how to cook. And I just, I'm not a really domestic, I wasn't a really domesticated person at all. Um, Like I like to target shoot and I like to hunt and I like to be outdoors and I like to do a lot of things. I, I like to do a few girly things, but I like to do a lot of things that, especially in the Christian community, are considered kind of masculine 
Um, no, I'm not gay or homosexual or whatever. Um, but I'm just saying, like, it wouldn't be a bad, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know how to say this. I don't want to offend anyone, but I, I'm not that, okay? But, um, and I lost my train of thought because I got on a whole nother train of thought in my mind right there. Um, but the point is, I remember in the very beginning days of our marriage, I was trying so hard to please my husband and he would come home from work and I would have done the laundry and he would complain instead of acknowledging that the laundry was done or saying, thank you. He would complain that the dishes weren't done. So the next day he would come home from work and I would have the laundry done and the dishes cleaned. But instead of acknowledging or thanking me for, you know, that the laundry was done and the dishes were clean, he would complain that the dinner wasn't cooked or it wasn't to his liking. Or the point was every day, no matter how hard I tried, no matter how much I improved, he always found something to nitpick and complain about every single day. It was exhausting emotionally. And it was frustrating because <clears throat> no matter how hard I tried to please him, nothing was ever good enough. And that's very typical for a lot of abusive people. You just, you can't please them. They're never pleased. They're always going to find something to complain about or to criticize you about or both. So you can't put the responsibility on the victim, on the wife, if her husband's abusing her. And being a quote unquote more submissive wife isn't going to save the husband or make him stop abusing the wife. <clears throat> In fact, it's going to accomplish quite the opposite, as I know from my own experience and observing and witnessing the experiences of others other wives, and other women in abusive relationships, what it's actually going to do is not fix the situation, help it or resolve it. What it actually does is enable the abuse. And the abuse gets worse instead of getting better. It actually gets worse. And this is a false teaching that if a wife is a better wife or is more submissive to her husband, that the abuse will go away. And it's very far from biblical. Also, I replied to this lady that your quote-unquote one flesh does not have a right to abuse you. Scripture is very clear about this. And the Bible admonishes the husband to submit to the wife as well, as I mentioned earlier from Ephesians 5.21. Um, just a few of those verses. I mentioned Ephesians 5.21 that says, Submit to one another out of, the reverence, out of reverence for Christ. Malachi 2.16 talks about I hate divorce, says the Lord God Almighty, and I hate a man who covers his garment with violence, and his garment in the footnote is his wife. So God hates a husband abusing his wife just as much as God hates divorce. So um, also, if you notice, Moses says in the Bible that the Lord permitted divorce because your hearts were hardened. If your husband's abusing you, I can pretty much guarantee you his heart's hardened because if he loved the Lord the way he should, he would just be appalled and aghast at simply the notion or idea of abusing you or anyone else. And then 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 is another scripture. Um, 1 Corinthians, what did I say? 6, 19 and 20. I want to pull it up for you here real quickly. Um, this talks about how we let people treat our bodies. 
1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, and I'm reading again from the New International Version or the NIV. That's my favorite translation, but all the translations say basically the same thing. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, this scripture is normally referred to in messages, sermons, preaching, etc., um, all those things, when people are talking about and referring to not making unhealthy choices. A lot of times this verse is used when referring to sexual immorality, like having sex before marriage. That's what I hear it the most. I've also heard it referred to about the food that goes into our bodies or into our mouths and that we consume with our bodies. We want to honor God with our bodies. So we don't want to have sex before marriage, obviously, to honor God with our bodies. And we don't want to be gluttonous to honor God with our bodies. But also, I personally believe this verse can apply to everything that we are doing with our bodies, maybe exercise as well. But I personally believe we are not honoring God with our bodies if we are, quote unquote, allowing our bodies to be abused. And I say, quote unquote, because I find it difficult to find a better word than allowing, but that word kind of makes you think or implies that, I, that I'm blaming the victim for allowing themselves to be abused. That is not what I'm saying at all. <clears throat> Excuse me. That is not the case at all. Again, it is not the victim's fault if she's being abused. It is the abuser's fault. It is the abuser's choice. But if we're going to honor God with our bodies, we need to somehow not allow our bodies to be abused. One way for that is to get to a safe place. Get away from the unsafety. Unsafety? <laughs> Find a safe place. Get to safety immediately. Um, I didn't realize at the time when I was married, married how dangerous the situation I was living in was. And the abuse just kept escalating and escalating and escalating until I finally, until it finally got to a point where my ex-husband strangled me. Um, and I literally almost died. And apparently he goes around telling everyone or used to that I exaggerated the abuse. <laughs> That's not the case at all. I never exaggerated the abuse. In fact, I meant, first of all, I hid the abuse and covered up for him. And then when I finally started sharing my story and sharing my testimony, and when I finally started speaking out even just a little bit, people didn't believe me at first. Um, I lost my train of thought again. I apologize. I'm really tired because um, we, we chaperoned prom last night, and it was really super fun. But we got in, and we went to sleep about almost three hours later than we normally do. But then, of course, my body has its own internal clock, and I woke up early, just like I do every day, no matter what time I go to sleep. Um, so that's why I keep losing my train of thought. Little um, aside, Shakespearean aside there for you. Uh, so anyway, maybe I'm not supposed to say that right now. But my point was, it's never the victim's fault. If a husband's abusing a wife, it's the husband's fault. She's not choosing to be abused. Believe me. Trust me. She doesn't want to be abused. And some people will ask the ignorant question, well, why did you stay or why did you just leave? It's not that simple. Um, being in an abusive relationship and especially a marriage, 
there are lots of dynamics and nuances to it. And um, it's hard because you don't know what that person is capable of. Because if they're capable of hurting you, you're pretty sure they're capable of hurting anyone you might get involved. So you're even scared of asking your own family and friends for help because you don't want them getting hurt by your abuser, your abusive person, or your abusive husband, or your abusive boyfriend, or whoever it is in your abusive relationship. Um, there's a lot to it. So it is definitely not the victim's fault. Um, but get to a safe place where your body, that's a holy, te a temple of the Holy Spirit, cannot be abused. Um, again, I would also encourage everyone to check out Patrick Weaver Ministries' Facebook page. Um, this is a very anointed man of God who speaks biblically about this topic as well. Um, Patrick Weaver's mother was abused by his father, and so he has a lot of insights. And, and so far, I've not found one post of his on Facebook off or wrong or anything like that. Um, very gifted man of God. And then I wrote to her, finally, if your husband is abusing you, he has already broken your marriage covenant. As I mentioned earlier, God does not want anyone to be treated this way. It definitely does not make you holy and does not change your abuser if you continue to stay and live with him in a marriage where they have already broken a covenant and are abusing you or have been abusing you. Um, it does not make you holy as a victim to stay with an abusive person. And submitting to abuse does not make it better. It actually makes it worse because the abuser basically learns through experience that, oh, she's not going to do anything about it. Oh, she's not going to stand up to me. And it's not a conscious thought. And so the abuse gets worse and it goes, it escalates and escalates and escalates and goes to the next level and goes to the next level. Um, when my ex-husband and I first got married, um, the abuse started the day after we got married. And it actually started with two things. One was with our newborn child. Um, yes, I was pregnant when I, walked, when I got married. I had been backslidden before then a little bit, um, obviously. But anyway, um, one thing that happened was the baby was crying and he wouldn't stop. And I hadn't slept for like two days or something. And I was exhausted. So my ex-husband tried to take care of the baby for me and give me a little break. Um, unfortunately, we lived in a mobile home. So I could hear everything from the room in the other room. <clears throat> but I'm like trusting my ex-husband to take care of this newborn, literally second day old baby. And all of a sudden, I hear my ex-husband spanking a newborn baby. Like, I believe in discipline, but not a newborn baby. He could have killed him. I'm not exaggerating. That is not okay. This is far from safe. So that was the first incident of abuse. And um, his mother was living with us at the time, and she and I flew back to there and got to him first, to the other room. The other incident of abuse that happened right after we got married was we were arguing about something, he and I. And I was fully clothed, but he shoved me down on the bed and I counted literally 10 times in a row because he wanted me to shut up and he wanted to gain power and control over me. And I was in shock and I should have left right then and there. But I mean, there, there was a lot. I couldn't leave right then and there. There was a lot to it for many reasons. So, um, 
Anyway, I, I also encourage people to check out the National Center for Domestic Violence um, hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE, and they also have a website. And I just want to remind everybody that Jesus was never, ever legalistic. In fact, that was one of his main points, I feel, was like trying to get the Pharisees and others to stop just going by the law and by the rules, but actually have a heart and compassion and care about people. Um, so the original poster in this was talking about how her first marriage had been abusive and she was concerned basically that God was going to basically punish her for getting remarried. And as far as I understand scripture, scriptures, that's not true at all. So that was a long 24 minute introduction to what I want to talk about today. Um, but that is what inspired me to record this episode this morning today. On today, I'm so grateful for God's deliverance from my abusive marriage. But I've talked a lot about what was done to me. But on this episode, I feel like God's leading me to discuss what I did to try to help my husband. And there was a lot, my ex-husband. There was a lot, but I'll just mention a couple few things. One thing was um, a few years into the marriage, I accidentally discovered that my ex-husband was completely addicted to pornography. And um, I had been at a a creative memories workshop. I used to go once a month. I I homeschooled for 10 years, our children, and stayed home. And I loved doing that. That was probably my favorite job ever. And I didn't get a paycheck for it, but it was my favorite job ever. But um, so I had a once a month outing I would go to on a Friday night once a month with some what I considered girlfriends, friends. And we would get together from 6 p.m. to midnight. And sometimes afterwards, you would have to wait your turn a long time to to close up and check out, you know, because you would purchase materials to make your scrapbook look nice, you know, and and whatnot. And um, so this one night, I didn't get home until 2.30 in the morning, the next morning. And when I walked in, I accidentally caught him watching a pornographic video. And I won't mention what he was watching, but to this day, that image of what was on the video is burned in in my brain and etched in my mind. Um, He was, of course, absolutely mortified that I had caught him. And I was completely disgusted and in shock when I walked in. But suddenly, a lot of things in our marriage, it was like everything suddenly made sense. Before that, I'm overweight now, but when we married and for the first while, I was extremely thin and people used to tell me I was drop dead gorgeous. So I couldn't understand. I could never understand before this night why I was never enough for him. Like no matter how beautiful I was, no matter how thin I was, no matter how much I exercised, no matter how much, how healthy my lifestyle was, it was never seeming to be good enough for him. Well, when I saw the pornography, it instantly made total sense because I was competing against a myth. Um, Those pornographic images, the photographs and the pictures and things like that, they're all pieced together from different parts of women No one woman is perfect in every part of her body, you know? And so, you you know, those pornographic images might have 
one woman's beautiful face or nose even and another woman's beautiful mouth or teeth and another woman's beautiful eyes. And um, it's very focused on the visual, the physical aspects of women, but they're all pieced together from perfect pieces, perfect parts of different women's bodies because no woman's one whole body is perfect. So those are fake images, false images. And of course, no real live human being woman is going to live up to that image. So it all suddenly made sense of, oh my gosh, this is why I've never been enough for him. You know, no matter how hard I try, no matter how beautiful I look, it's never enough. And this is why, because he was addicted to those fake and false images. And um, I was really hurt at first. Um, and I even got myself a book to try to help deal with it, but the book made me even angrier and, and more resentful about it. I was very extremely hurt. Like I'm supposed to be your wife. Your desire is supposed to be for me, but, and it wasn't like we didn't have sex or have intimate relationship relations. Um, but he was very addicted to pornography. And I remember one of the things he said to me when we were married was that he needed sex, and I quote, at least once a day. <laughs> and, um, you know, I've done studies since I got divorced and before I got divorced, and I know that healthy or unhealthy, um, and, and there are some marriages that are more frequent and some marriages where it's less frequent, but the majority of marriages that I've researched about or the research I've seen for it, the majority of marriages will have sex or intimate relations two to three times a week. And I remember he, I mean, some are more, some more often, some are less often. I remember an old friend of mine used to say, well, I have sex with my husband every morning first thing so that he's taken care of because I don't want him cheating on me. And I remember I said, does your husband go on trips? And she goes, well, yeah. And I said, well, then how do you take care of him when he's on a trip without you? And she just looked at me stunned. I'm like, so if he can survive without you for a day or two on a trip, can't he survive it without you for a day or two while you're married? I mean, I wasn't trying to put a divide in him. I was trying to help her see the fault in her logic there. Because if he can't survive without sex for her for one day, any day while they're together, then he's going to cheat on her while he's gone, maybe, right? So... I don't buy that excuse that I can't survive without, you know, it, it is our biblical duty as wives, I guess, duty. You want it to be romantic, but um, we are told in the Bible that our bodies belong to our husbands. The Bible also says our husband's bodies belong to us, by the way, in case you didn't realize that. Um, so, you know, uh, anyway, but my, my ex-husband had said, not just once, but on several occasions, I remember he, him saying to me, you know, I, I require sex at least once a day, minimum. <laughs> ah. When you have small children, that's a little hard to do, especially when they're waking up in the middle of the night and everything else, and you're so exhausted. But anyway, I, I was pretty faithful with my ex-husband and um, was meeting his needs pretty well especially in the first several years of our marriage. But it didn't matter. Somehow he was still addicted to pornography. So when I found out about that, at first I was very hurt. But then I really tried to help him. I asked, I asked him what I could do to help him, how I could help, and told him, 
you know, I want to try to help you. I'm sorry you're going through this. I'm praying for you. How can I help you? He didn't want my help. He did not want my help. Okay, so I stopped. Um, I just kept praying for him. But um, I think he was just really embarrassed about it, which I totally understand. But I mean, if you're married and that's your wife, she's supposed to be your helpmeet. Let her help you. That's her job. That's her God-given responsibility, in my opinion, you know? Um, so it says that God created Adam. I'm sorry, God created Eve to be a suitable helpmeet for Adam. So that's your wife, dude. Like, let her help you, you know? Um, so I tried to help my ex-husband with his pornography addiction, but it didn't work out because he was embarrassed, I think, and didn't want my help. I know he was embarrassed, but I think that's why he didn't want my help. Um, and I was very compassionate and understanding about it after the initial shock and hurt reaction. Another thing I tried to do to help my husband was I tried to get him to go to counseling with me. I went to biblical and secular counseling. <laughs> I read, I was in a a Bible study, a personal Bible study with a lady, um, a godly lady, and I was forced to read a book called The Excellent Wife. That book, let me say, that's a good book. There's nothing wrong with that book unless you're in an abusive marriage. Then definitely do not read that book because it will just heap more guilt on you and that's not what God is about. Guilt is from Satan. Guilt is not from God. Conviction's from God, but guilt is from not from God. Guilt is from the enemy. So if you're being abused or if you're in an abusive relationship, definitely do not read the book called The Excellent Wife. And um, But I tried to help my husband that way by becoming a better wife, which, as I said earlier, you can't help an abusive person become better by becoming better yourself. That just enables them to be worse. Um, and also by trying to get him to go to biblical counseling with me. I even tried to get him to go to secular counseling with me. And I counseled myself knowing that my counseling would hopefully help my marriage or our marriage. Um, I Again, I did both secular and biblical counseling. I've shared with you all before that we were separated a total of three times. Um, the second time I helped my husband by encouraging him and getting him to go to what was called the Center for Nonviolence. And he actually got a lot of help there. And I remember he told me um, he had a kind of like a counselor named Josh there who was Hispanic and that the guy had really helped him. And I remember when he first went in there, he was complaining to me, why do I have to go here? I'm not like these guys. These guys hit their wives. And I just looked at him incredulously because he just didn't get it. He was still in denial. But then a few weeks later, after there was a restraining order against him, I get a knock at my door, which by the way, there was a restraining order against him. Um, I get a knock at my door, open the door, it's him, and he's sobbing, standing there literally sobbing, apologizing, asking my forgiveness, saying he realizes he's just like those guys on the videos that they were showing at the Center for Nonviolence, and that even though he doesn't hit me, he's still been abusive to me, and, and just really seemingly really repented. However, he's breaking the contract, no contact order, he's breaking the restraining order by being at my front door. So 
he's learning to be repentant, supposedly, but he's disobeying the law to tell me he's sorry. So if he were truly repentant, I think that he wouldn't have broken the law to apologize. He could have written a letter or something. You know, when we first met, he wrote me, um, he wrote me poems in Spanish and quoted scriptures in Spanish on paper and drew artwork for me. So he could have easily not broken the law and not broken the restraining order. So that was another thing I did for him was, um, get him to go to the center for nonviolence. The second time we separated, the third time we separated, I asked him to go again and he absolutely refused telling me that his lawyer said that if he went, he would be admitting he was guilty. And I looked at him and said, you are guilty, but he just got mad because he was in denial again and he didn't want to admit and believe that he was that way. I mean, honestly, who wants to admit that we can be that way? I think all of us can be at least a little bit that way because we're human, right? We all get angry sometimes and we all sometimes sin in our anger, which we're not supposed to do. Um, but God will forgive us if we truly repent and turn away from our sins. Even David in the Bible, God calls him a man after his own heart. And I believe because he was repentant. He was sincerely repentant. And when you repent, it does, doesn't just mean you say you're sorry or you feel badly for your sins. You also turn away from those sins. And sometimes we need God's help to do that. So that was another way that I helped or tried to help my abusive ex-husband. As I said earlier, I also tried to get him to go to counseling, which except for once, he absolutely refused to go. And the one time he went, oh, one of the best counselors I've ever had in my entire life. His name was Dr. Mark Barnes, but then he left to go into teaching, college teaching. And I was so sad but um, because he was an excellent counselor, best one I've ever had. Um, but he got my, I got my ex-husband to go to one counseling session with him. And when my ex-husband was there, Dr. Barnes pushed him and pushed him and pushed him. Afterwards, he told me intentionally, purposely, deliver, deliberately, because he wanted to see how my husband would, re ex-husband would react. And he pushed and pushed and pushed until my husband finally blew up in anger yelled at him and left. <clears throat> and I looked at him and said, oh my gosh, you're the first one besides me he's ever done that to. And he was deliberately invoking and provoking him to a response. Um, and so you might think that, oh, well, your ex-husband only got angry when you pushed and provoked him. No, that's not true. There were many, several, many, many times where he just one minute he'd be fine and five minutes later he would just kind of blow a gasket. And by that I mean he would just get angry out of the blue, like with literally no provocation whatsoever. And so um, my former stepmom, they're divorced now. Um, she and my father are divorced now. But she told me one time, well, you don't poke the bear. I didn't poke the bear. Don't assume that I poked the bear. The bear's just a bear. He's just grouchy. Um, so I still believe he's bipolar, um, but he refused to go to the doctor until after we were separated and I was threatening to divorce him. And then he called me from the doctor's office to see if he's bipolar, demanding that I drop whatever I was doing at that exact second to come help or the doctor couldn't diagnose him as bipolar. 
just another manipulation tactic of many. So anyway, I tried to get him to go to counseling to help. Um, that was another thing I did to try to help him. Also, this isn't exactly related to the abuse, but when his mother passed away, I sacrificed an entire two-week paycheck and gave it to him to buy a ticket to go see his mother before she died, before she passed away. And um, he's originally from Mexico City, so he had to fly to Mexico City. So it was a, an expensive ticket, but I helped him in that way too. Um, also, when he got a new job, um, he, he, obviously his native language is not English, it's Spanish because he's from Mexico City. And so when he got a new job, he asked me to give him a while to learn the job because it wasn't in his native language. And he basically asked me to keep the children away from him so that he could learn because he was going to be too busy learning at his new job to have time for me or the children. So I did that for him for three months. And after three, so I helped him with that. And after three months, I asked him, could you please spend some time with the boys? Because one of my children was saying, where's daddy? I miss daddy. And he told me he needed more time. So I gave him a couple more months. And after five months, I asked him again. And that was the night he strangled me. <laughs> so um, those were some of the things I did to try to help my abusive ex-husband. Um, I stayed home and he worked outside the home. So I homeschooled our children. And I loved that. But it was also a help to him. And I was a housewife. And when I got married to him, I was not Susie homemaker at all. <laughs> I was quite the opposite. I was very um, independent, career-oriented, goal-minded, job-oriented um, person and not, like, I didn't even want children before I had them. Once I had my son, I love kids ever since. God really changed my heart the second my son was born. My heart was immediately changed. And I loved um, carrying him in utero also. Um, now I got myself sidetracked again. Oh, I helped him by homeschooling and staying home. And I became kind of like Susie Homemaker. I did all the cooking, all the cleaning, um, all the laundry. I did everything, all the schooling, all the paying bills, all the running errands all the taking, carting people to appointments, taking them to field trips. I literally did everything while he worked outside the home. And so I helped him in that way too. Um, I also helped him with budgeting and paying his bills. And I helped him pay off his debt the first couple of years of our marriage. We both had debt. And my entire paycheck for the first two years of our marriage went toward paying off the debt that we had accumulated uh, before our marriage individually. So I paid for all his debt and all my debt the first two years of our marriage. Um, so I helped him in a lot of ways, and those are just some of them. Um, so I'm sure that if you're in an abusive relationship or you know someone who is, you are or they are most likely doing your best to help them because that's what we do. And I'm learning that typically empaths marry abusers. And narcissists look for empaths. I'm still learning about all of this. So anyway, um, those are some of the things, obviously, besides praying for him, that I did to help my abusive ex-husband. 
All right. Well, that's the end of our podcast episode today. Again, thank you for listening. Please get to a safe place. If you're not already, it's very important that you take it seriously. If you are being physically abused in any way, shape, or form, you are literally in danger. Do not minimize it. Get yourself and or your children, not and or, get yourself and if you have children, them to safety immediately. And if you need help, please, by all means, call the Center National Center for Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE, 1-800-799-SAFE. I wanted to slow down because um, I'm talking faster because this episode's going on 45 minutes and I like to keep it under 30 if possible, but sometimes you have to make an exception. Um, there are also wise YWCAs in most cities that you can call for help. And a lot of them have shelters um, with undisclosed locations where they can help you and protect you. They'll have a place for you to stay the night um, and toiletries and things you might need. I also recommend you have a safety bag or backpack packed and ready to go with important papers and an overnight change of clothes for you and your children if necessary and keep it in a safe location. I love you all. I want you to be safe. I love you. God bless you. Jesus loves you more. Until next time.